Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. On today's show, we have Zeno Muller. He is a two-time Olympic medalist. He won his Olympic gold medal in the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, United States of America, and his Olympic silver medal in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia. He has also won three silver world championship medals and one junior championship bronze. He has a website called Zeno Coach, where athletes send video footage of their stroke in the boat to Zeno, and he analyzes their technique to improve the performance of the athlete. His website is xenocoach.com. That's X-E-N-O-C-O-A-C-H.com. Just uh, threatening a little bit here in lane four is Zeno Muller. He's sitting about a length down on Langer as they come through the 1,000-meter mark. In fact, it's chopped just ahead of Muller as they go through the 1,000-meter mark. The world champion in third place, so a bronze medal position at the moment. Tell us about how you got into rowing. I got into rowing when I was in fifth grade. I lived in France, in Fontainebleau, an hour south of Paris. And, um, and my sixth grade friend, Eric Emery, he, um, he rowed. And when he rowed... Um, he once uh, walked up to me and said, Hey, Zeno, would you be interested in rowing? Because your hands are big enough to be um, used for oars. You don't need any oars to row. And that's when it all started. Um, my parents totally supported my rowing. Um, I used to play tennis, but there wasn't enough tennis around me. And I would just beat the ball so hard that it would always go into the out. Um, so rowing was it. I was going to row and um, my father made sure that um, I knew about the best rowers in the world. So he talked about Carpinen, Kolbe, Lange and um, they also started driving me from France to Switzerland 
once I became uh, um, 16 years old, I competed at my first Swiss uh, national championship on the Rotsee. Who was your very first coach? There were two French coaches. Um, one of them coached Anne Marden, uh, a U.S. Uh, female scholar who won the silver medal at the 1988 Olympics. Um, and his name is Jean-Pierre Leroux. And Jean-Pierre and uh, his friend Michel Collard were my first coaches in France. I learned to row on the River Seine at the rowing club Fontainebleau Avon. What boat did you start rowing in? The very first boat I started rowing in was a French Julien, a plastic boat. And then we had a uh, wooden Salani. I loved that wooden Salani. And then, um, yeah, and then once I would turn 16, my dad uh, organized a wooden Stampfli for me. So those were the three main boats that I used when I was a young, young rower. What was it like to row in Switzerland? I rowed most of my mileage in France on the River Seine. But since I'm Swiss, I raced for the Swiss national team and we, um, I competed for Switzerland and I rode on a lake in Switzerland called the Lake of Zarnen. And that was pretty close to the Lake of Lucerne, but most of our training mileage was on the Lake of Zarnen. Um, Lake of Zarnen was really flat, lovely area, but the mountains never really changed. So you almost felt like you weren't moving at all when you were rowing in the valley between Interlaken and Zarnen. At the time, I was also a club member at the Zurich Rowing Club. So we did some outings on the Zurich, Lake of Zurich. Um, but that lake um, was really had a lot of waves because of these lake cruise ships. And then there was a lake of the Mauer, a lovely little lake where no motorboats are allowed. And that was a cool place to row. And that was just over the hill from Zurich. Who inspired you in the rowing world? Who inspired me in the rowing world? That's an interesting question. Um, I would say Rambo. <laughs> yeah, the reason I'm saying this is because rowing, I, I equated rowing with pain. You were not going to get any faster if you're not going to hurt. And the only movie that I really saw that I, I felt the hurt in was when I watched Rambo First Blood. And then there are some subsequent uh, movies that clearly showed that in order to become good in rowing, you're going to have to hurt. I knew nothing about the actor, just about the, uh, the Rambo, how he dealt with it. But I know it sounds really simplistic, but to be honest, um, when you when you find a passion, you're driven by bold goals and by bold signs and you know, uh, you were not going to wait for details. We were just going to go for the bullseye as hard as you can go. What are the difficulties in rowing in a single? I don't think I thought it to be psychologically difficult because I felt like a lone warrior and uh, it was a mano a mano civilized rowing fight. So I really liked, I mean, I really liked rowing the eight uh, with Brown University. But when it came down to the business of it, it was me against anyone else in the single skull and I wanted to make them suffer as hard as possible. So if they were going to be faster than me, I wanted to make them suffer as hard as possible. So I think I was pretty good in psychobabbling myself. And um, I don't know, the solitude in the single skull did not bother me. I was in search of an identity 
and um, I felt that uh, once I won the gold medal at the Olympics, um, I had found my identity as an athlete um, and as a person who only really lived in foreign countries and every Olympic preparation was done in a foreign country. So that is something that I pretty much very different from anyone else in the single skull is the fact that I never lived or trained in my own country much. What was it like to win your very first race? I won my very first race that I won. I think I was 14 years old. <laughs> and I remember it was the um, race on the Seine in Milan, at the town of Milan, and it was the Seine-Marne, the championship of Seine-Marne. And I remember that the legs were going down amazingly fast, and, uh, and I won. And it was so cool um, to have won. And then on the shore, my coach said, couldn't I have wrote this more horribly because I, my legs were going down so fast because I shot the slide like nobody's business. Actually, a year or two later, I realized, oh my gosh, that must have been horrible because I really was able to identify what that means to shoot your slide. So it was cool. Winning, winning then was great. I mean, winning is always fun, but the, I do remember that was the championship of the Departement de Seine-et-Marne. But here's Zeno, and we're into the last quarter of the race, and the pressure really being piled on. The Canadian on the far side, and Muller, now Switzerland, here he is, and he looks as if he's full of power. Absolutely powerful on that catch. He's winding it right up. Then he's moving. He's moved past Langer. He's moved past Langer. He's almost now onto Derek Porter. Now can Derek Porter wind up that race? Has he got the flexibility? But Muller is moving. Tell us about your journey to the Olympics. My first Olympics, I turned 19 that summer. I had already um, finished my freshman year at Brown University. And um, I trained uh, in the springtime, a couple of hours in the morning. Then in the afternoon, I would hop into the eight. And I raced uh, in Barcelona. I had the possibility to be as fast as the, as the bronze medalist. So bronze medal at age 19 was a possibility because I had beaten Ketan Bronievsky, the Polish scholar who ended up winning bronze once before. But, you know, uh, high altitude training is something I had never done before. I'm sure I made some mistakes and maybe I needed uh, more help through coaching and uh, there are things I could have done better. So I ended up missing the final by half a canvas behind Eric Verdonk, Eric who won I believe the bronze medal in 1988. Um, so I missed the final uh, by half a boat length and that was brutal. Eric was in the hunt for a bronze medal uh, two days later and, um, and ended up being beaten by Ketan Bronevsky. So I had a potential, potential of winning uh, bronze there. I do remember that uh, the stroke man of the German quad his name was Andre Wilms, and Andre was sitting stroke, and as we were both turning our boats, he was uh, he made a snide remark, kind of insulting, of course, said, hello, asshole, and I remember this to this day, and um, I don't think very highly of him until <laughs> till this day. I, I wonder if the guy even remembers having, say, having said that, but I do remember, and he ended up winning, which I didn't really like because he treated me badly, but... You know, so is life, right? I hurt my back carrying the boat out, getting ready for my um, small final. And then I couldn't race the small final. It was so bad. It was terrible. But, you know, you live and learn. You make mistakes. And it's brutal. 
you feel like you're going uh, through um, through the gravel rock bottom, and somehow you you climb out of it and you uh, swear vengeance. I think that was one of the things that was the most uh, brutal is that I was all mad that I didn't make the finals and. I had no minders watching out for what I was going to do, and I was asked by um, by some Swiss interviewer to do a live interview, and so I went and I said, "This is all bullshit that I didn't make it, and uh, I'm mad at myself, and um, I was going to win four years later in Atlanta, and it'll be much better and awesome." And <laughs> I was just talking about, I was just so mad and angry. I'm glad it worked out the way I predicted it four years earlier and then in Atlanta it worked out. Um, you leave your heart on the race course and um, totally exposed and when you lose you get stomped on. No, in this company. What a strike. What a fantastic strike from Muller. Just those last 400 meters, he just turned the pressure up and flew. Who coached you at that time? My coach at the time of the first Olympics was Harry Mann from New Zealand. He was amazing. He's a magician. He understood what it took to row. He understood which muscles not to use. And he's the reason why many coaches are as good as they are today. Harry Mann is um, one of a kind. I think um, I, uh, you know, he taught me in English and English was a foreign language for me at the time. But I think I was able to pick up a lot of his coaching. And he's the reason why today um, I'm as successful as I am as a rowing coach for high school students as well as for elites because Harry knew how to explain it. And um, I think I, I was able over time to even further clarify the message for many others that I coach. How did they influence your rowing? Harry uh, Mann influenced me as um, he really showed me that I didn't need to be big and burly to row fast. He showed me that you don't have to be super tall and super strong to be a fast rower. And luckily, Marty Aitken, who came to the Swiss national team after Harry left, he totally understood what Harry needed uh, to to have done in rowing. So it was um, it was really lucky. Then Marty was a good friend of Harry. The technique, the continuity in the technique was flawless. That's why I won. Describe to us about the 1996 Olympic final. 
The final of the 1996 Olympics was the final rehearsal of what the heat was in the semifinal. I raised the heat, the semi, and the final exactly the same way. I was patient the first 1,250 meters, and then I started pushing for the last 750. And it was clear that in the semifinal, when I had Porter ahead of me, that it was going to be a race to the finish line at 250 meters to go in the semi. Porter couldn't hold on to my acceleration. And so in the finals, the same thing happened again, but I think Porter left me um, behind harder earlier and my coach was a little bit worried that Derek had that much of a lead on me. I stuck to my race plan and I paced with uh, Itzdok Kopp until about 1100 meters down. And then I remembered those last 750 meters and it's in those last 750 meters that Thomas Lange, back in 1988 when he won the gold medal, simply destroyed Peter Michael Kolbe. You know, as I evolved as a rower past Rambo, I did think that uh, Thomas Lange was my idol. So the last 750 meters you start uh, pushing and the last 250 meters we were doing some special training to make sure that we had the torque needed to increase the boat speed and um, to this day I think I have the fastest last 500 meter sprint of all Olympic finals and I think of all world championship finals. 136.56 or something like that. How did it feel winning a Olympic gold medal? Winning the gold medal made me happy, made me cry. My dad had passed away four years earlier. I had so much pent-up anger in me over the course of all those years because maybe I was always a foreigner everywhere where I went. There was so much fight in order to accomplish an Olympic gold medal. It was a feeling of relief, but at the same time, you didn't quite know how to be at peace because I didn't know peace. <laughs> I, I honestly had no, don't know what peace was then. Now I know it better. But back then it was, it was live or die. Um, live or die in training, live or die in, in uh, lifting, live or die for racing. You know. Tell us about the preparation to the 2000 Olympics. Four years after the 96 Olympics, I was really fortunate that Marty Aitken stayed on the team. And Marty was a brilliant coach. Marty Aitken, Australia, friends of Harry Mann. He made uh, training really fun and versatile. Um, in those four years, I got married, um, had two children, became a family man. Uh, rowing became truly a, um, I knew what I was doing. Between 1996 and 2000, I really knew what I was doing. And it showed. My speed was superior in 2000. Um, I think another gold medal would have been possible. It didn't work out that way. Uh, all week long, for some odd reason, I always woke up with a sore throat in the morning and I didn't think much of it. Uh, after the semifinal, my heart rate, my resting heart rate wasn't coming down. It stayed around 90. And I had no idea why that was. I was really lucky that there was a day of rest between the semifinal and the final. You know, the final against my friend Rob Waddell, and I need to underline friend, Rob is, I, I really enjoy Rob and his family. We took off, uh, and at 1500 meters, we had that five second lead on the field. And then I blew, and I blew so hard. That was the hardest race of my life, to win a silver medal, to see the gold medal go, and to struggle to win a silver medal 
against two of my um, worst, not worst, but I really didn't want to lose against uh, Derek or Marcel Hacker because um, of the history I had with Derek. He he was never very um, friendly to me uh, from the very beginning when I first uh, congratulated him uh, when he won the gold medal at the 1993 World Championship and I swore to myself that he would never beat me. And so when he was getting closer in those last 250 meters, 400 meters, I was fighting like heck. It's a very personal thing running the single skull. It's you against everybody else in single skulls. And you were going to fight. And uh, I'm really happy Rob won the gold medal. Uh, let's share the gold. Um, how much would my life have changed had I won two gold medals? Um, not that much different, I would say. I would say, I don't know. But I'm sure that for Rob winning a gold medal, his life did change um, as much as mine changed when I won gold in 1996. So I'm really glad he did because I think he's a great guy and he has a great family and I wish him all the very, very best. Did you want to become a coach? In the end, yes. Um, around 2003, I realized that I have a talent to coach. I can really verbalize the rowing stroke and I can verbalize the rowing stroke in so many different ways that rowers understand one way or the other what to do. And when I, when I did about seven, eight years of indoor rowing um, as a studio on top of my coaching on the water, I um, explained um, beginners how to row. And um, there are things that is absolutely crucial for people to do in order to maximize their power without wasting their uh, ability on the small muscles. Rowing is all about how you uh, use the big muscles and in what sequence. Then I became a rowing coach and <laughs> now I really think this was my calling. Uh, somebody said to me that, Zeno, you are remembered by winning the medals, but you will be more remembered by the people you're going to help win the medals. That's kind of an interesting way to look at it. How did Zeno Coach come about? For me, I knew that somehow coaching rowing had to pay for my family. The internet was, um, the broadband was moving faster and faster, so we slowly but surely were able to send uh, footage over the internet. And now I do stroke analysis for high school rowers who want to improve um, their odds to get recruited to university as rowers and um, I really enjoy doing that and on top of that I coach people on the water digitally so they send me footage and um, I do a slow motion frame by frame analysis and send it back and write training programs so everything about coaching I can do without actually sitting in a coaching launch so that's what's really incredible now and I feel extremely fortunate that that is possible to do. I am an elite rowing coach for anyone who can afford me, who wants to improve. When they realize that professional coaching is available, I'm the one to go to. I don't have to protect the club. I don't have to protect the national team. I'm here to coach those who want to get elite coaching. And how do you improve an athlete's performance? Every time I have a new person to train, I assess weaknesses and we work on the weaknesses first um, before we start really improving their strength. It really is um, fascinating to me to be able to help oarsmen in a way that they were never, um, they never thought this was possible. 
Um, and I really have to thank um, the science behind um, understanding how to develop the aerobic capacity and further the anaerobic capacity without uh, hacking into the aerobic capacity. So, you know, and specific strength training, different types of strength training, those are all things ingredients that really helped me become the athlete that, that I became at the Olympics. What kind of strength training do you recommend? I think to just make it real simple, what kind of strength training to do do I recommend for athletes? Guys, don't get injured. Don't be fools. Don't get into some crazy uh, rat race or um, chest thumping um, competition about who can lift more. Avoid injury at all costs. There are many different ways of improving somebody's performance in rowing using strength training. But the number one tip for me is to do not start becoming competitive in strength training for foolish reasons um, and then lose your future in rowing because of an injury. Describe the correct rowing technique. <laughs> Aaron, I will not describe the correct rowing technique, but what I can tell you what I can tell you is that every boat that I see has flaws. I can certainly say that some boats could win if they corrected some of the flaws that are so blatant. Even at the World Championship and the Olympics, you're only as good as whoever you beat. So if the entire field is kind of sloppy, well, then some people may think that a certain style of rowing one and therefore you have to emulate that and that's the danger there's a lot of waste in power and so i um i see their strength i see their flaws and if they improved some of their uh, flaws the medal order would be different at the world championship or the olympics uh, i'm not going to point the finger at anyone particular uh, that wouldn't be right for me to do when people are starting rowing should they row sweep or skull i believe in sculling as a way to learn. So sculling is really, really, really important because it's symmetric. And then if you want to do sweep rowing, that's fine. But sculling teaches people how to handle themselves in a boat and so they don't become a nuisance in a large boat without knowing what to do in a small boat. So small boats, a single skull is awesome. Talk to us about your school's program that you have. I coach high school students. And those high school students, um, they want to get ready to get recruited to a university program. And I still recruit um, university athletes while they are in the program. So I continuously get footage of them and I analyze and uh, make recommendations as to what exercise to do in order to maximize their performance they can get out of their bodies. I also check in to find out what type of intensities they are training. I do become also a um, by trade psychologist. You know, you're not just a rowing coach technique and um, performance, physical performance. You do uh, work mentally with them. Tell us about ghost rowing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Martin Cross wrote a book, uh, Olympic Obsessions, and um, there is a uh, chapter about Harry Mann in Olympic Obsession and Martin Cross stood on the shores and he would always know when a crew of Harry would row by because they would be ghosting along and uh, Martin Cross really described it in a lovely way. You know, Harry's, Harry's technique was truly effortless rowing. 
and ghosting along is a beautiful way to um, explain what a crew looked like that Harry coached. And what skill set do rowers need? I think the number one thing, and I will be talking about this later this week, is passion. If you don't have passion, you're not going to succeed in rowing. If you don't have passion for rowing, you will not succeed. For those people who listen to this, they likely have passion, so they're going to say those, you know, we know that. But there are a lot of people who do things who don't have passion, they won't succeed. In rowing, you have to have passion. With passion, a lot is possible. You mix elite coaching into that passion and then an Olympic gold medal is is real. They say about Zeno, he has good days and he has bad days. Well, he's had a terrific week here and what an amazing gold medal. Switzerland's first gold medal in Olympic competition since 1928. I started that. There was nobody who was going to be able to stop Zeno Muller today. It was his day, and my God, didn't he fly those last 500 meters. Do you miss rowing? Would I want to race today? No, thank you. I've been around the block. It hurts. I don't think um, my body could handle the abuse uh, anymore. You know, there's a time to say, okay, I am done now. (laughs) I had an epiphany in 2008. So that's it for me. I'll be coaching and I'll be uh, egging on those who want to race and who get my coaching. In looking back, would you change anything? No, I wouldn't change anything at all. It is what it is. It went the way it went. I'm now happily married, got four children. I enjoy what I do professionally. No, I am happy. Where can we find you? You can always find me on the internet. It's very, very easy to get hold of me. I am working on digital uh, weekend camps during the fall and winter. I have winter uh, digital camps that are a little bit longer and have summer digital camps. And people come and visit me here to get coaching. So I coach in the Newport Beach Harbor in California. Internationally, you can reach me within a split second on the computer. I can help people row faster and I feel very lucky. Thank you, Zeno. All right. Thank you. Bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.